I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Trey Gowdy. I'm Shannon Bream, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, January 16th, 2024. I'm John Saucier. Despite this war between Israel and Hamas being over three months old now, it continues to rage on. The latest attack came from Hamas. This terror group able to fire off about 15 rockets Tuesday, sending them towards southern Israel. Despite the images that we've seen in Gaza of of buildings turned to rubble and decimation in large parts of the Strip, the fighting is still very much ongoing, and today was a major indication of just that. This is the Fox News Rundown, Evening Edition. Israeli Defense Forces have been pounding Gaza for months now after Hamas began a war against them on October 7th. But that war is still very much ongoing despite efforts by the Israeli military. Hamas remains very active and innocent civilians are the ones paying the price. The Israeli government says today's barrage of rockets fired from Gaza was the largest that it's seen in about a week. About 25 rockets fired over from Gaza toward the northern part of this strip on the Israeli side, hitting the area of Netivot. We're speaking today with Fox News foreign correspondent Alex Hogan reporting from Tel Aviv. So despite the images that we've seen in Gaza of of buildings turned to rubble and decimation in large parts of the strip, the fighting is still very much ongoing. And today was a major indication of just that. Do you think that the IDF figured that the fighting would be raging this hard for this long? Because because you've got Israel, such an immense military force going up against a terrorist group in Hamas. But it seems like the, this continues to linger. Is it because Hamas is putting up a good fight or is it more to the effect that Israel's doing its best to try and limit civilian casualties and infrastructure damage in Gaza? You know, I think the answer to that really has varied depending on who you're talking with. I've talked to soldiers, reservists about that exact question over the last several months and their perspective from so many people that I talked with, they believed this this war could have been won much faster. At least that's what they hoped in the initial beginning weeks and months, especially, I think, a lot of the families could never imagine that hostages would still be in Gaza at this point. A very different answer when we're hearing some of the official statements coming out of the government with the chief of the IDF just last week warning that forces would be on the ground fighting for the entirety of 2024. That's a very strong statement to hear from the Israeli government in the very first week of the new year to hear that forces would be on the ground fighting for the next 12 months. We don't know to what what extent that's really believed that that will continue at the scale that it is right now. But I do think it's also alarming for civilians to continue to see these airstrikes and these rocket attacks coming out of Gaza when for so many weeks now, it's been more than 100 days, we've seen the continued strikes, we've seen the ground forces, the Navy, the Air Force, all working in this coordinated approach to try to target more Hamas strongholds, military sites, warehouses. So to still after all of this, the hundreds of tunnels that have been uncovered to still see Hamas able to fire as many rockets as we've seen today, definitely an indication that the fight will continue much longer than some of those civilians had anticipated. 
Yeah, and it's a scary situation, obviously. It's just hell inside Gaza right now for the people who live there. It's over 2 million people. So many of them have been displaced. Are you hearing anything about the aid that's supposed to be delivered to those civilians in Gaza? I know the United Nations was working to try and get it safe, but I've also seen and read reports that Hamas might be interrupting the aid or stealing it. What do you know about aid getting into civilians? Yeah, this has just been a nightmare, John, for the people who are trapped in Gaza civilians who are unable to get that aid. So we know, as you mentioned, 2.3 million people live within the Gaza Strip. According to the UN, about nearly 2 million people have now been displaced. And UNICEF says that half of them are children. So a massive population of people under the age of 18. And just every single day, it seems we're getting more and more reports from international aid organizations warning of how dire the situation is. There are thousands and thousands of people living in what were shelters that have really turned into these tent cities. And I've been talking with people who are living in some of those shelters. They say with the the cold that we have seen in recent days, it has been rainy, which is usual for this time of year. But if you left in October, fleeing your home, you were wearing the clothes on your back and potentially whatever else you could carry at the time. So months later, to still be wearing those pieces of clothing, to be sleeping in a tent outside, people were telling me this week they were using plastic pipes to light those on fire in order to create a flame to simply stay warm because all the firewood that they could find was completely soaked. So there was no other way for them to stay warm. Now, that is just one aspect on top of the fact that there is not adequate food. The UN is now warning that on top of all of the people that were at risk of starvation, about 400,000 people, now that group, the UN is saying they are no longer at risk. This is a famine for that group of people. On top of that, we also have the lack of medical aid. I was talking to an American doctor who is from South Carolina and actually volunteered traveling into Gaza to help give some relief to the doctors that are completely overwhelmed. And he was saying that at one point, he even had to do surgery on two patients at the exact same time because there was no one else to help him. And some of the doctors that were in the ER with him, those were people who lived in Gaza, they would go home to their families. And then hours later, he would see that counterpart, that other doctor ending up back in the ER because that person went home to see his family and then ended up being in an area that had been attacked. So there's such devastation. There's a lack of aid and the aid that is getting in, according to the UN, only one quarter of those aid trucks are actually getting to their intended location, especially within the northern part of Gaza, because they're being held up at different borders. So I've talked to members in the UN who are actually going into Gaza this week. They say there needs to be more channels for the civilians to be able to get that aid in as quickly as possible. And I know that this is something that people back home might be hearing this message over and over and over that there needs to be more aid. But when we're talking about a group of people, not just thousands, but nearly 2 million people now displaced, that is why there are such loud sounding alarms from the UN, the World Food Organization, and other programs, World Food Program, I should say, other organizations like this, just saying that the situation as it is cannot continue. We are hearing, I will add, from the Israeli government, this push to also increase aid that they understand something needs to be done. 
Things are only getting worse in the Middle East as the war between Israel and Hamas continues on, and innocent civilians in desperate need of aid are starving. We have Fox News foreign correspondent Alex Hogan on today reporting from Israel. She's giving us an up-close look at some of the terrible things that have become part of people's everyday lives since this war began. We'll hear more from Alex on the way next. Alex, you actually visited a kibbutz today and spoke with family members of some hostages. I mean, I just can't even imagine someone being held hostage in their family for that long with war raging all around it. So what were those people like? Yeah, so today with my crew, we went to the kibbutz of Niraz, which is near the central part of Gaza. So about an hour and a half south of Tel Aviv. That was one of the hardest hit kibbutz. One out of every four people in that small village was either killed or kidnapped. So everywhere you go, you've either been specifically touched by this trauma or your neighbors and family members have been. So walking through this village, it's a very peaceful place. The idea of living in one of these villages is that you have a home, you have a community where everyone knows each other, everyone is friends. A lot of these villages are are just several hundred people. So you know every single person very intimately. One couple that I met, they had lived there since the 60s, and this is where they hope to spend the rest of their life. It was a very peaceful community, they said. And then it was on October 7th when they heard the sirens go off, they ran into their shelter and they stayed in there. Their dog actually helped protect them when Hamas militants broke into their home. These were elderly people. I would guess that they were in their 70s, potentially early 80s, and they just wanted their story to be told of how how traumatic it was for them, but they considered themselves the lucky ones. They were back at this kibbutz to salvage what little that they could. Uh, Hamas militants had actually lit their home and their neighbor's home on fire, so the smoke almost pulled them out of their their shelters. And that's something that we had seen from several other residents. We spoke with one woman who was actually taken hostage. And she talked about how she was in her safe room with her husband and her two daughters when Hamas militants lit their home on fire. And they ran out because after a while, they simply couldn't breathe. And that is when they, like so many others, were taken hostage. I talked to another man whose brother and sister were both taken hostage. And they're, at this point, pleading with the government to find some kind of other potential broker deal to bring the remaining 130 plus hostages home. We did just hear within the last several hours, official confirmation from the Israeli military that two more hostages have been killed. And the psychological warfare, as they call it, is what Hamas is doing by releasing these videos of some of these hostages, giving hope to the families for only 24 or 48 hours later for the information to be revealed that they, in fact, have been killed. So it's an incredible amount of pain here on the ground. There is this residual trauma that the family members of hostages that I speak with say it's impossible for them to move forward. If you can imagine what it could potentially be like to have a loved one taken hostage and you have no clue if they're alive, if they were killed weeks or months ago. So until there are some answers, there will be that residual pain. There's, of course, the fear as well. On top of that, of if they never come home, those families never have answers. Answers, will they continue to live the rest of their lives in this state of unrest? 
Yeah, Alex, this really has been a very emotional war. I think that word you use is is very appropriate for this because of the desperate feelings for, you know, the people who have family members held hostage, the civilians caught up in this in Gaza, and just everyone else involved as well, including, you know, those who support Israel, those who support Palestinians. It really has tugged at our heartstrings all the way throughout. I'm wondering how you manage all that as a reporter. You're doing a very important job by bringing us the these images that the world needs to know about. We need to know what's happening in the Middle East, good or bad. When you are there, and you've been there for a while now, multiple times covering this war, how do you keep yourself from getting caught up in this emotional um, headwinds? Just because, I mean, it's it's human nature for anyone to hear these stories and just be absolutely mortified. How do you press on after day after day seeing all these horrors that you're seeing? Well, that's a difficult question to answer, John. I think... The first time I'll simply speak for myself in this, every journalist out here has their own way of dealing with it. I think the first time that I come to any conflict, your boots on the ground, there's not a lot of time to process it. And I think the first month plus that I spent covering this war, when I went home and was able to unwind, that's when I finally had the moment, the mental space to to comb through everything. This time around, what has shifted is we're seeing with everything going on back home, with the primaries really starting to pick up when we're looking at the election, other news, the world has moved on. So I think there's more space here as journalists as we continue to do this reporting to be able to, to feel those emotions, to work through it. But that being said, at the same time, the reason that we have the, the mental space to do that and the time to do that is because the the appetite, the story arc of any story, the world moves on and people are not paying as much attention. So we are here on the ground trying to shed as much light as we can on these stories that do continue to need to be told. We understand like any story, People have an attention span and they will continue to watch the next thing. But we as journalists will want to continue to tell that story. But I think it's um, it's important as much as I journal and working out helps finding a mental space, even if it's 15 minutes to to unwind in that way. But I think just continuing to tell the stories helps feel that um that moment of peace of getting to share someone's story and not holding onto the guilt of wishing that you could do more to help on both sides of this conflict, I think being able to tell those stories is the best way to not feel it emotionally and mentally as much. And we appreciate you going over there and telling us those stories because, again, Alex, this is very important. The world does need to hear about all this stuff. So we appreciate what you're doing. We want you to stay safe, of course. Alex Hogan, Fox News foreign correspondent, reporting from Tel Aviv on the war in the Middle East. Alex, as always, fantastic job. And thanks for being with us on the Fox News Rundown Evening Edition podcast. John, thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com.